You are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. As you have learned from our practitioners in the first episode on Christians and social work, social work is an intensely practical profession, usually done by people motivated by great caring and compassion. Rick, Lowe, and Lloyd demonstrated from the testimony of their own lives that people who become social workers commonly have a deep desire to do good, to help others, and bring change for the better. For Christians who become social workers, as Rick Lowe and Lloyd have, there is also the deep desire to model to the world the example and presence of Jesus Christ. But essential to social work is an academic component. The capacity to understand and to advocate for others and for change requires the ability to analyze and to understand such things as context, histories, systems, structures, and cultures. It requires models that guide both reasoning and action. Part of the work of social work is its academic work. This is the second episode of my interview with Christians in social work. This episode focuses on those who are or have been professors, educators, and researchers in social work departments in Christian institutions, in addition to being practitioners. In this episode, it is my pleasure and honor to have with me Dr. Tanya Bryce, Dr. John Singletary, and Dr. Lane Scales. Tanya has served on the faculties of the University of South Carolina, Abilene Christian University, and Baylor University, and as Dean of the College of Professional Studies at Boys State University and the Dean of the School of Education, Health, and Human Resources at Benedict College. Currently, she is Vice President of Education at the Council on Social Work Education. John directed the Baylor University Center for Family and Community Ministries and held the Diana R. Garland Endowed Chair in Child and Family Studies at Baylor University. Currently, he is Dean of the Diana R. Garland School of Social Work at Baylor University. Lane was Associate Dean in Baylor University's Graduate School and the editor and contributor to the sixth edition of Christianity and Social Work, Readings on the Integration of Christian Faith and Social Work Practice. She was the founder of the Good Neighbor Settlement House in Waco, Texas. Currently, Lane is Professor of Social Work in the Diana R. Garland School of Social Work and co-director of the Ph.D. program at Baylor University. Well, welcome. Thank you each for being with me today. Thank you, David. Glad to be here. Why don't we begin then by letting each of you uh, tell your own spiritual journey, uh, as especially as that has, has led you into uh, this uh, ministry and career of social work? Who wants to start? Well, I'll start. Um, this is Tanya. Um, I am a third generation uh, child of the Churches of Christ. Uh, which is um, an evangelical group that's out of the Stone Campbell movement, out of that Stone Campbell tradition, and um, granddaughter of a church planter. 
Um, and so my experience, my faith journey was one that was extremely racialized, but I didn't realize it at the time. Um, but I've written a great deal about it since um, realizing in the sense that um, I I found out um, that our um, little tribe um, is a parallel tribe of a black tribe and a white tribe primarily. And so there's black churches and white churches. And um, I obviously grew up in a black church being a black woman. And my grandfather planted black churches throughout the South. And this is going to be an important story as, or that distinction is important um, as my lens um, through the way in which I see faith and um, and see my journey, particularly um, with social work, um, the intersection of social work and faith. Um, so. Um, I didn't really know any different until I moved to Abilene, Texas, as um, uh, to to develop uh, the master's in social work program out at Abilene Christian University. And Abilene has this distinction. I don't know if it's still true, but it was at the time of having the highest per capita number of churches um, in the world. So it was in the Guinness Book of World Records. Um, very small, small community, but a lot, a lot of churches. Um, and most of those churches being churches of Christ. And so literally there was a church of Christ on every corner. And so it was in that distinction that I discovered that, um, or being in that place that I discovered, um, that there were some differences that were really racialized in the way in which we saw our faith and the way we practiced. And, um, and so being there in Abilene to develop a social work program, um, it, it kind of forced me to think about social work intersecting with my faith. Um, and um, and so it's kind of set me on a, on a totally different trajectory um, in the way in which I um, see our profession and see in which the ways in which we train our um, social workers. So that's a little bit about my about my journey. I, I can go next. Uh, this is Lane. Um... Well, I, I grew up in a conservative church. It was a Southern Baptist uh, family, and we were very involved in our church. Uh, being in the South, it was definitely a segregated church. And it was conservative in a couple of ways that made a big difference for me. One was in terms of gender. Um, women in our church had very particular roles. Uh, we were not uh, invited to preach or to um, to lead in, in, unless we were leading uh, children. But I did learn something from the women in my church, and that was um, a, a sense of mission and social ministry, the idea that we are to have compassion and to be helpful uh, to people who, who may need our help. And so that background, uh, which was also reinforced by my family, who, uh, who did a lot of uh, good in the community, that background uh, got me started uh, in habits of of helping that would ultimately lead me to social work. Uh, in my church too, we had a very particular way of looking at 
the world economically. And that was that, um, you know, we looked to individuals for um, the cause of poverty. And we sometimes um, were taught that, you know, a person is poor, it might be because they're not trying hard or, um, you know, because they drink too much or those kinds of blaming of the uh, individual for, for their problems. And I was never taught until later when I got into social work to understand um, how systems can contribute to uh, social problems. And so that would come for me uh, later in life. But that early church um, church experience um, really became the basis of everything and faith became the basis of everything um, for me when I sought out and, and went to seminary uh, to try to address this question of how does my faith impact the helping that I want to do. Well, I uh, also grew up Southern Baptist, so I can follow Lane and kind of add my own heritage there. Uh, but I was raised in uh, Baptist churches in Texas. Texas are always a pretty independent uh, group of people. And uh, that's been true as part of uh, how Baptist life has worked here as well. Um, I also grew up in a small town known for its uh, racism. And it wasn't until uh, I went to uh, college here at Baylor University, where I'm now on the faculty, when I came here as an undergrad, it was really the first time I, I was just made aware of just uh, the extent of uh, my both race-based and gender-based privilege, the, the social advantages that, that I have. And so learning to, to really make sense of my own racialized identity, uh, but from a completely different standpoint from what Tanya has talked about um, was something that uh, certainly influenced me academically, but also in terms of my faith. Uh, growing up in the church, but never recognized how white the Southern Baptist Convention was, that it was founded uh, as a Southern entity in response to um, decisions coming out of uh, slaveholding, uh, approaches to the capitalist economy of the South. And looking back, you know, it, it's it's weighed heavy on how I think about uh, the, the nature of our denomination and, and the churches that I've been a part of, how white, how white they are, um, how racialized they truly are, the nature of the uh, just a, a oppressive, uh, force of so many of those churches only being led by white men explicitly so. So just the patriarchy and the racism of uh, our denomination uh, really weighed heavy on me in, the, in those years of kind of early higher ed. Uh, shortly after that, uh, being at, at, at Baylor, I was wrestling with these things, wanted to understand more about what they mean, wanted to understand more about what it might mean for my future. So also made the decision to go to, to seminary. 
uh, but wanted to uh, still identified with Baptists, but wanted to step out of the Southern Baptist tradition. So I went to a church that was started by the Alliance of Baptists in partnership with the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, two groups that were uh, emerging in the, in the 1990s to try to offer some response uh, that was more uh, in, inclusive of, of women, supportive of women leadership, and at least taking some small steps to, to recognize the, the role of race and racism in our past. I really valued my seminary education at the Baptist Theological Seminary at Richmond in Richmond, Virginia. And it was there that I learned about social work. Uh, so the seminary offered a dual degree program uh, and was hoping to learn more about social justice work at seminary, but it wasn't really part of the curriculum. And then heard about this dual degree and realized that social work is a profession grounded in a commitment to social justice and thought, that's what I want. And, and really was nurtured there to think about ways to integrate my faith and social work practice, things that have defined my my whole career and really ours together in this, in this conversation. Uh, so went on to Virginia Commonwealth University to do my MSW and PhD and then had the opportunity to come back. Uh, to Baylor to serve on our faculty here, and I've been here for 20 years. Well, as a theme that we're going to be exploring uh, for many of our questions is the uh, the way that faith is integrated into your work as not just social workers, but those that are involved in the academics of social work. Uh, how did that question uh, become important for each of you? I can start. Um, As I mentioned, I did my, uh, uh, I went to seminary and there I earned a master's of social work. And at the time we were the only uh, MSW program located within a seminary. But because all of my um, uh, student colleagues, as well as my teachers, were, were there for that purpose. Integration of faith into our social work practice was, uh, uh, you know, our main theme. It was uh, a part of our curriculum. And so that was the foundation on which I built. And so what was happening for me is in my social work courses, uh, in some of my theology classes, I studied um, Christian ethics um, classes. I began to see the Bible um, and Christian theology in a new way. And I, you know, read the Gospels differently when I looked at Jesus' life and ministry and saw things that I had not seen before again, with the help of the readings and the professors, um, causing me to think differently about the biblical message. And I began to see this message of social justice. I began to see the um, systemic injustice that, um, that I'd never been taught about before. So it really was transformational for me to go and have that seminary experience. Um, and so much so that by the time I got to the end of my master's, I had not planned to go on further for a PhD, but I really felt called to, um, to share this transformational experience with other students. And so I began to think about being a professor of social work 
continued my study. Um, and now I feel you know, very blessed to be in a setting, a Christian setting at Baylor where I can share uh, the, those lessons of integration that, um, that I learned uh, coming through my master's program. Anybody else want to comment? Yeah, on I'll, I'll just say, um, you know, my, my seminary experience was different just because I didn't study social work at seminary like Lane. So so mine was a little more bifurcated. I, I did a, a joint degree program where I, I went to seminary and then went to graduate school to do to do my MSW and, and PhD in social work. So I really had to be a little more creative with the integration to, to figure out how are these things related? I saw the connection. It, it, it was a little obvious to me on, on paper and in principle, the, the value statements of the code of ethics specifically with my reading of the gospel pointed in the same direction. The, the, the preamble of the, the National Association of Social Work Code of Ethics talks about the particular attention that social work gives to the empowerment of people who are vulnerable, oppressed, living in poverty. And that sounds like it was, you know, the words that we were emphasizing in, in the gospel straight out of Jesus' mouth. So it was like, okay, this is a place where I can truly see my faith come alive. But there was there was some reluctance in social work to, to see it that way, to hear how religious words could fit the profession. And we had just gone through this kind of, uh, it's it's cyclical in some ways, but a, a season where the profession was was less supportive of the role of religion and, and spirituality. And we were kind of re-entering into a phase where there was some more openness to it, but, but I was having to learn to, to navigate that. Uh, but it was kind of an honor to do so, uh, to use my theological education and to think about what, what has become known as, at least in how we define it in our schools, the ethical integration of faith with social work practice, uh, there, which suggests that there are certainly unethical ways. Uh, but but there was a lot of opportunity here, I thought, to, to really see my faith expressed through the profession of social work. So my journey, my I'm going to answer this a little differently. I'm probably the only None, well, I am the only non seminarian here. I'm the only non theologian here. Um, I, I've never been to seminary, I've toyed with the idea. Um, but so I've always seen social work as a ministry, though. But I think it's because, first of all, I was raised. Um, in a family where we were raised to be unapologetically Black and to be very African-centered in the way in which we operate. And what that means is that we're a very spiritual folks. We see we see God in trees and in rocks and in everything, in everybody. And um, I also went to a historical Black college um, undergrad um, went to South Carolina State University and um, and there continued with um, a very, um, I wouldn't say they were necessarily African-centered, but Southern Black folks um, 
whether they know it or not, as being African-centered or very much so very spiritual and see um, spirit in everything. So to speak um, uh, words from holy books um, is not an unusual thing, whether it is the Bible or the Quran or the Husia or whatever the, ho the holy text is. Um, and so I didn't really have an issue on that end. But I have always, you know, I've been a, I've been very active with NASW. I was a, for our state in South Carolina, I was on the, I was the BSW student rep on the board, been very active in leadership with NASW the majority of my, my career. I never saw the preamble to the code of ethics as being, um, something that social workers do. I thought it was aspirational. Largely because in Black communities, social workers, um, at least those who are sanctioned by the state, actually are those who are more oppressors than they are empowerers. And and so, um, and I think that's kind of what led me to be less of a state-sanctioned clinical type, but more of a macro um, uh addressing structures that are oppressive towards people using social work in that lens. And, um, and it is my faith in G in, in God's son, Jesus, who showed us what it was like to challenge systems that were oppressive against vulnerable populations. And it's that lens and that path in which I've followed, um, as it relates to social work. So, I've never seen it as truly a disconnect. I've seen it that there are folks who may not truly understand um, what it means to empower um, and maybe don't truly understand the role that they've played as oppressors using the, the moniker of social work um, um, and really have worked to... Uh, use my faith in Jesus to um, to follow his lead on ways in which we can challenge the empire. Um, and so that's kind of how my faith in, in, uh, in social work has, has been integrated. And so my, my experience, I started out, always went to public schools, undergrad was public, graduate was public, doctoral degree was public first teaching experience at a public institution. It wasn't until I went to a Christian institution that I realized that there really was a serious disconnect. And so, um, um, it, yeah, it was, it was a real disconnect between what is aspirational and what, and how folks actually engage and how they actually practice. Um, so, that was my thoughts. Well, John, you mentioned in both, of you, you know, Tanya, you also mentioned the code of ethics. Uh, and that seems to be kind of an integral part of the whole social work uh, dynamic. Um, and, and, and where, where do you first learn this? Is it in school uh, that, that, that this, the code is first kind of introduced. Yeah, I think in the intro to social work classes, um, which 
for me, I have a, a, a bachelor's degree in social work. So I have a, a BSW and a master's degree in social work and a PhD in social work. So um, in my intro to social work class as an undergraduate student, uh, one of the very first things we learned was several code of ethics, but the one being the the NESW code of ethics. But I also learned that alongside the National Association of Black Social Workers Code of Ethics, which um, has a, a kind of a sort of different bend, um, but still speaks to the same kinds of ethics. Well, how does the um, how does the code then uh, influence the teaching process, uh, the forming of a social worker? And then, I guess, as a as an additional question uh how does that differ uh from a from a secular institution and a and a christian institution well well i can just talk for our experience at, at, at baylor and i love what tanya's saying about it being aspirational these conversations are, you know are always so interesting for us just to, to recognize some of our own uh differences as, as well as some similarities in, in what we see what we've experienced and what we long for and the idea of it being aspirational i think makes a lot of a lot of sense uh, also her wrestling with kind of the state sanctioned role of the profession i you know i've also chosen not not to be licensed and wrestle with some of those same kinds of things um we, you know we, we we might say the same thing about uh the nature of the church and of the gospel that christ teachings should be more concrete and daily lived, but they are unfortunately largely aspirational in terms of how we are called to, to seek justice, uh, to live with mercy and kindness at our core. And too many churches fail uh, to, to live that out, I, I would suggest. Uh, I think we all see the way churches struggle there, like much like our profession does, does at times. Um, in terms of how we teach these things, I think we do kind of teach it from an aspirational perspective on the one hand, uh, in terms of the that that preamble and and at the very outset of the the NASW code it is a is a list of core values, it, and so the, again those core values kind of resonated with me and my faith in terms of something we are to live towards and live for, it, it and they kind of connect with. My, my understanding of the faith, social justice is one of them. And so particularly as a seminarian, I was looking for ways that the churches were called to live out God's justice and to see at the beginning of this document, this code of ethics, a commitment to a core value of social justice really resonated with me. The dignity and worth of the person sounded a lot like all humans are created in God's image. So I saw some, some continuity there. The importance of human relationships is in the code of ethics, and God is always reconciling us to one another in God through Christ. And so relationships are central to my understanding of my faith, but also the code of ethics. And then, and then things like integrity and competence and service, those matter to me as a person of faith, but they are in this list of core ethics. Uh, from there, the code gets a little bit more prescriptive in terms of these are the things social workers are to do and not do in terms of how we live relationships 
in terms of how we are to practice only where we have competence and not outside of our competence in terms of the structure of relationships and to not have dual relationships and to set professional boundaries in our relationships. And, and social justice has some parameters too, that we are called to advocate on behalf of marginalized populations. Uh, it, it's kind of a, again, an aspirational uh, call and uh, in, in, in one that sometimes we, we fail to live up to both professionally and in our faith. But there's an opportunity there for us to to wrestle with those things and to seek to, to make sense of those. And, and we really do bring that into our curriculum um, in, in every school of social work. And at Baylor, we just happen to bring it into the curriculum in a way to seek how it connects to the meaning of faith. Uh, and it's not just Baylor, but because I'm here, that's certainly true for us. But some of the other uh, religiously affiliated schools seek to do that too, both the Catholic ones and the Protestant ones. And so, John, thank you for um, pointing out the pieces of the NASW Code of Ethics that are important. So, um, so I'm going to kind of compare that to the additional Code of Ethics that I was trained with. So, we were taught the any you know uh, adhere to the NASW Code of Ethics, but the additional difference with the NABSW Code of Ethics, the National Association of Black Social Workers Code of Ethics, is that it places the obligation as a Black social worker to address the issues in the Black community as central. So um, so while we are to empower, it is it, it, it recognizes that we're in a structure that is indeed oppressive. I, particularly against against black folks, a very anti-black kind of um, um, society that we're in, and so it it speaks with more tangible ways in which we engage in social practice in an ethical way. That it is indeed unethical to not see our connectedness with one another, that it is it is unethical to not be concerned about the whole and unethical to be individual in the way in which we um we see our our world and that we in the way in which we practice that we don't practice as being um the one who knows and in the one in authority um, who is helping the other, but that our practice must be one in which we are part of and communally connected to those in which we strategize with to seek, as we call, liberation and freedom, which means to be whole and to um, be able to function at um, our optimum level in our society. And so um, it requires us to be, to, um, to have those principles that they take precedence over our own personal interest. And it also requires us to, um, to, as I mentioned earlier, not make a distinction between my destiny and those of my brothers and sisters, but it also requires that we, um, um, supplement our paid 
and professional advocacy with voluntary services in our community. So it's very, very tangible. Um, and that those principles really speak much louder to me um, about what it looks like to be an ethical social worker. And it doesn't allow us to other folks, um, which is very much so the way in which my experience um, my faith journey has been um, that as that we're all part of the creation and that my my creation, me being the created, is not any better than you being created, is not any better than any other folks being created, regardless of what their socio socioeconomic status might be um, in our society. And so I have always taught from that perspective regardless of if I was at a public, predominantly white institution, if I was at a faith-based institution, if I was at a historically Black college, all of my students, regardless of the setting, are exposed to these both of these code of ethics and those philosophies. Um, and that's who I am. And that's just, um, and that's the lens um, and, um, and I encourage, um, students to look at these codes of ethics as, um, again, aspirational, but how much of this can we actually engage in and, and really to take them serious as, um, particularly as creations. And I speak in that language, regardless of the setting. So even in public schools, I still speak um in 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 the same in the same way tanya i'm glad you brought up the nabsw code of ethics um and we also have an international social work code of ethics um and these these different codes of ethics which often don't get taught about uh in our classes i certainly didn't learn about them until um, much later in my career uh, are so important for us to get a, a broader picture. And usually these codes come along because there's a group like the National Association of Black Social Workers who's feeling marginalized um, by the main profession and feel like they're not represented. So they, um, they address that by coming up with their own statement. And another group that has done that is the NACSW, National uh, or North American Association of Christians in Social Work. And uh, when that group was formed, um, it, it really was because Christians were feeling like in the um, earlier days that, that they were not included or not represented by the main profession. And that was during the time when um, when social work was really distancing itself from uh, from religion, even though social work has religious roots um, in order to be more scientific, in order to have more status, um, social workers really wanted to um, align with not religious groups, but with uh, other professions and with the sciences. 
So that group of Christian social workers uh, really banded together and has changed quite a, a bit on its focus over the years, but um, has been an important additional voice uh, where some of us have found other people, other Christians who are uh, trying to address this question of the integration of faith and, and how do we do that ethically and within our profession's code. So how does the larger social work profession uh, and other social work educators view this project of integrating uh, faith and practice? And then kind of uh, and particularly related to this, since you all are, are the academic and uh, educational part, uh, what are the tensions related to accreditation involved in integrating faith and social work? So the Council on Social Work Education um, is the accrediting body um, for um, social work programs um, in this country. We have almost 900 uh, between 850 to 900 programs um, in this uh, country right now, baccalaureate, masters. Um, we have a doctoral and doctorate in social work, which is the practice doctorate, the DSW, and then the research social work degree, which is a PhD in social work. And um, but we accredit the baccalaureate and master's programs, and we're beginning to um, the process of um, accrediting the the practice doctorate, the DSW. As it relates to faith-based programs, um, faith-based programs have to follow the same um, standards as uh, secular schools. And so, you know, we have to make sure that there's um, at a minimum, you know, certain standards around uh, the kinds of faculty, the, um, you know, the, what the curriculum looks like, um, the governance structure, um, the, uh, you know, the student body, um, if there's proper admissions policies and those kinds of things. So there is not necessarily an aversion against faith-based institutions, although there are some folks who tend to believe that. Um, when I went to Abilene Christian University, Abilene Christian University is an MSW program. I mean, it's a, it's a faith-based institution that I started the MSW program there. They had an existing BSW program. And in the accreditation documents, one of our competencies was about um, embracing God's diversity in his creation. That was the language that was our, used in our 10th um, competency. So we were overtly talking about our, our sort of religious stance. Um, and I know that Baylor has a TIF competency um, similar to that in other um, faith-based institutions. Um, one of the things that we have, um, uh, one of the efforts that we engaged in last summer, and thank you uh, to Baylor University School of Social Work, um, the Garland School of Social Work, and, and John's leadership um, who helped sponsor this, is that we had a spirituality summit um, that was, um, you know, a Council on Social Work Education Spirituality Summit that brought together folks from 
various faiths um, to talk through these very same issues around the integration of faith in our curriculum. What would that look like? What would that look like as far as um, the both the um, didactic or classroom teaching field education, our research, um, the kinds of scholarship publications. Um, we we spent um, four sessions um, uh, addressing that. So, as the accrediting body, um, there there is not uh, there is support for um, a diversity of uh, social work programs with diverse perspectives that with the ultimate goal of preparing competent professional social workers who cause no harm. Um, now, there have been efforts um, to have a narrative out there that suggests that um, that uh, faith-based institutions, and in this country that would largely be Christian, institutions um, are uh, somewhat uh, maligned or um, or, uh, there's some level of possible discrimination um, against Christians in the field of social work. And as a Christian in the field of social work, um, I I often push back, I, Tanya, often push back on that. on, on that narrative, um, what I what I would say is that many times in our social work programs, and this is basically what we see when we look at this in the literature, it is about folks um, feeling comfortable making statements that they believe are that might be a bit unpopular, but not wanting to um, be accountable to some of those statements or not being open to real discourse about some of those statements. And so when there are, when there's pushback that happens in the classroom because someone has made a statement that um, is, um, that might be offensive, um, as I often say, in the name of Jesus, um, that, um, you know, um, folks then say, well, that pushback is indication that I'm not welcome in the space because I'm a Christian. And it's not because you're Christians, because <laughs> of the statement that was made and let's talk about it. And you have to be open to that. Um, and so I think there's that kind of tension that that happens, but that happens not just with faith-based. It happens along the lines of race. It happens along the lines of socioeconomic class status. It happens in, in uh, one's abilities. It happens in all different um, categories. Um, and that's the beauty of social work education is that it can be messy um, because we have to oftentimes disentangle from those things that we were taught to believe in our upbringing and, and seeing a different way um, when we're with different people and being able to put on a different lens. Um, it can be messy. And, and so that's kind of what happens. And that's something that we support in the Council of Social Work Education. We support messiness in the classroom as long as it ends with or results in competent professional social workers who are not causing harm in, um, in our communities.
Yeah, I, I've absolutely felt that support from CSWE, Tanya. And I, of course, I'm so grateful for your leadership there and the, 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 the lens you bring to these things. But even prior to, to Tanya being at the Council on Social Education, uh, we really have, have felt supported as a school in a Christian context. And we've been accredited for over 20 years and um, have had uh, a master's program accredited for over 20 years and even longer for our undergraduate uh, BSW program. Um, and, and that whole time we've been able to say, uh, we want to think about the role of religion and spirituality in a person's life. And we wanna make sure that we are teaching the profession so that students are becoming ethical practitioners. And this idea about do no harm is an interesting one. It's interesting how people wrestle with it. This narrative Tanya mentioned is, is, a, is a tricky one. People uh, in, in, in some schools kind of kind of do approach uh, the Council of Social Education with, the, with this fear, this belief that, that they will be uh, at, at risk of losing their accreditation or not being accredited if they do certain things. But uh, there are schools that talk about having a, a, a Christian worldview or corresponding or an approach that corresponds to a, a biblical understanding of truth. And, and, and that's largely accepted as long as at the same time, they can assure that uh, they are teaching social workers to be competent and to practice both with competence and an ethical lens that truly does no harm. Of course, it's sometimes a fine line in terms of what do, what do we mean by some of those things? And one of the common That's questions right. is, can I pray with my clients? Uh, and, and mm-hmm. you know, we don't have clear and simple answers for that. We, you know, there are some Christian schools that, that tend to lean towards, yes, that is a value and we want to support that. And uh, there are other schools, and we're a little bit more this way uh, of a school that says, I- I'm not sure that should be the first approach we bring to engaging uh, a client or an individual or family that that we're serving. Uh, that the priority should be wh- what are their needs? What are they asking for? How do they understand the help that they're seeking, the services that are available? If it's in a context of a religious organization or a Christian organization where prayer is explicit and they come there seeking that, that's one thing. But if you're in a context where that's not explicit or a part of the service is offered for a social worker to offer that, uh, can create a power dynamic where, whereby a person might feel like, well, I don't know how to answer that question. Is it is it appropriate for me to say, no, I don't want you to pray for me? Uh, can a client really say that? Well, they should be able to, but sometimes it, it feel it can feel forced. Uh, so, so as we as schools wrestle with that, the, the our accrediting body has also wrestled with that. Um, and one of the things that I've also appreciated is that that, that they allow this wrestling uh, as long as they can assure that we are training competent and ethical social, ethical social workers, and that they really do focus on a, on what they're doing is they're accrediting the programs and not the larger university. So if a larger university is has certain practices uh, that, that maybe aren't encouraged by social work, as long as the social work programs can say, but here's what we do in our school that is much more supportive of the profession, then 
it's easier for us to, to maintain our accreditation. And there's really very risk, little risk of losing it, it feels like from my perspective. That's, that's correct. That's correct. Well, how does this take shape uh, in actual curriculum? I can address that, uh, or I can start, and we'll see what others have to add. So when it comes to just practical ways of how do we do this integration in the classroom, first of all, it's just creating a space to have conversations about this topic and to let our students wrestle with this question of how our faith impacts uh, our, our social work. And um, when it can happen in the classroom, you have professor guidance, you have a community of other people who are wrestling with this question. You know, John had described his experience as a graduate student trying to figure this out on his own. And it was, you know, very bifurcated. His seminary classes and his social work classes, but we have an opportunity um, to bring all that together. And it can happen in some very practical ways. We can assign some readings, for example, that uh, address this question. We, a few years ago, um, the NACSW began publishing a resource of essays, and uh, I'm one of the co-editors on that um, that volume, and what we try to do is pull together essays that can be used in the classroom so that our students have something to read that would prompt um, this, uh, this question and these discussions. So it can be something like that. We can also um, assign essays where students uh, address these questions and try their hand at bringing things all together. We can ask them to go and, and, and look at scripture or look at theological writings alongside their social work, um, social work textbooks. And um, just having it as an open question that the teacher can um, share her journey um, of faith in the classroom openly. And these are all ways that we can um, bring this theme into our classes. Yeah, our specific approach in terms of in terms of implementing that is uh, in addition to the competencies that we expect our students to meet that are provided to us by the Council on Social Work Education, that the council gives us an opportunity to add our own competency and, and additional competency and different schools do different things. Some of the historical black colleges and universities have a competency related to race. Some have one that is focused on culture in, in other ways. And we created one uh, that talks about the ethical integration of faith in practice. And the, the, the way it shows up in our curriculum is we want uh, our students, our emerging professionals to be able to understand uh, how their own faith has shaped them uh, how they're motivated by their faith, maybe called as a result of their faith, how their faith maybe teaches them that they are, maybe they should do things like pray with a client, but then as a professional, they have to ask, is that really what is best? Is that really what is needed in this context? Is that really ethical in this context? So really wrestling with your own faith identity and understanding. 
And, and then secondly, being as attentive to the role of religion or spirituality in, in the life of the person that you're serving or, or their family or their family system. So if it's a Jewish family, how do you engage their faith? If it's a Muslim family, how do you engage their faith? What, what does it mean to talk about uh, religion with someone who practices differently than you? How do you honor their tradition and be supportive of their tradition? If someone has been traumatized by religion, how are you even more sensitive and and maybe seeking to avoid it in ways that would cause further harm? Uh, and that can be a real challenge sometimes for, for students to, to think about that, but it's something they have to take seriously and realize that sometimes the best way to think about being spiritually supportive is not to to bring up questions related to to religion uh, in in certain contexts. And then the third piece is just kind of the, a, a larger organizational or societal understanding of faith. Sometimes you're in a faith-based organization with certain policies. Sometimes you're uh, influenced in the Bible Belt, we say, by kind of a, a culture where faith is the norm and is accepted. But does that mean it should be a part of every conversation with every client? Absolutely not. Uh, so how do we kind of balance those uh, expectations and opportunities is something that's pretty explicit in our in our curriculum and something we, we seek to measure as part of the, the competence of our professionals. Yeah, and sometimes we have issues with, uh, you know, we have to work with our students around using their faith to engage in practice that may be harmful to folks. And, or if, for instance, saying you're engaging with a, a, a client system, a family, and you find out that there's something happening in that family, uh, someone is, uh, I'm, I'm going to try to keep it, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to come up with an example that's not going to be too controversial, but, um, you know, the student has an issue with folks who drink alcohol in this family. Um, you know, they're not necessarily alcoholics, but social drinkers and say, well, I can't work with this family or I'm going to remove this child because I saw some beer in the refrigerator or whatever. And my faith says that this is not what should be happening. And this is harmful. We, we often um, have to have those kinds of um, um, uh we have to engage with our students quite a, uh, quite a bit about not using their faith to um, cause harm in addition to um, the other examples that um, Lane and John have just said, um, regardless of what, of, what their, of what their faith is. And then culturally, um, one of the things that, um, particularly as an you know, African Senate practitioner, um, there are folks who will... Um, who just might expect you to um, speak in a certain way that um, is related to spirituality and and um, or your faith that um, you as a practitioner might be might not be comfortable with. So there's all of that that kind of happens in social work education. Well, when you Tanya, I want to kind of go back and and you, you all of you have touched on this a little bit, but um, you had talked about that the experience of so many people uh, is that the social worker is an oppressor. Mm -hmm. um, and given the importance of the code of ethics uh, that you all learn, um, 
how do you, how, how does that happen? And this, I guess, will be a final question. How does that happen to begin with? And how, in, I guess, in training, in formation, uh, do you change that? Mm, great question. So, it, I always like when my people say that. <laughs> a very good question. Um, so that's why I say that the NASW Code of Ethics is aspirational. Um, when we look at data as it relates to outcomes of certain groups of people, we see that there are, for instance, disparities in um, out-of-home placements for children in child welfare that come from Black and Brown families. We see that there is a disparity, and from poor families. So they, you know, so, so it could be a poor white family, but um, we see disparities in the ways in which children are disciplined or suspended um, from school settings, um, particularly for Black and brown, brown children. We see, we see these disparities throughout all of our social structures, and social workers are in the midst of that, right? It's usually social workers who are making those decisions. And so that is exactly the question. How does that happen if we have this training that says that ultimately we should be empowering vulnerable communities when we're actually not? And I think part of it is we have to look at our history as a profession. We have a social work, the social work profession is largely a profession led by white women or practitioners who are white women. And that inherently is not bad. Uh, but there's a lens that comes from our history um, in this country of um, sort of these friendly visitors. Um, that's what they were called back during the our progressive era, um, which is the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, where it was about going into folks' homes, determining whether or not they met a certain standard, and that standard largely being of a white middle-class standard. And that's kind of, and it was those folks who sort of led or created the beginnings of our social work programs, the curricula that's been developed has been from this lens of, of um, you know, teaching folks how to assess whether or not other folks meet a certain standard. And so when you have that foundation, it is only it is this is only going to create more of its same of the same right it's going to it's going to continue to create itself in that um we are training folks to look at other folks based on certain standards so the way in which we fix that is to number one recognize that history and recognize that it is what that is that it is about judging folks based on some made up standard as opposed to recognizing that they, in order for our society to function, we have got to have all of our um, members of society um, uh, well and whole. Um, that it is, it, 
And, and so we've got to make sure that we have structures that are supportive to all members of our society. And I believe that social workers really do have the skill set um, to be those folks to create that structure. But we have to acknowledge our history. We have to acknowledge the roles that we've played. There's a, a, um, a wonderful book that just came out called Facilitating Injustice. And um, I want to say it's Sunni Park who wrote this book, but it talks about the role that social workers played in the Japanese internment camps. We would not have had the Japanese internment camps had it not been for social workers creating the structures to um, for intake and setting the standards for who's considered an enemy and who's not. And then um, developing the, the programming that happened in those camps to, to determine who is okay to then, or who's assimilated enough to then go out into um, their new communities because many of those Japanese families were then placed into largely white communities um, as assimilated beings. Um, social workers played a major role in that. And as I mentioned earlier, social workers play a major role in the ways, in, in all of the, many of the other op oppressive um, structures that we see with the data. So we are challenged in social work education to um, address that fact, to, to um, 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 develop uh, ways in which our social work students learn this very dark and painful history slash contemporary practice and and really work to um, to change that. So one of the things that we have done with the Council on Social Work Education, because not only do we have credit programs, we also are the education arm. So we are the educational policies. We we're kind of unique as a professional educational association in that sense that we're both of those things in one. Um, we have just released our 2022 educational policies and accreditation standards um, that really for the first time is pushing us as social work educators to think through a lens of anti-racism, diversity, equity, and inclusion. How do we, in everything that we do, prepare social work students to become competent professional social workers who can dismantle oppressive structures and build supportive structures that ensure that our, all members of our society are well and are whole. And I'll add to Tanya's call for a better understanding of history, a big Amen to that and a hear, hear, uh, because social work uh, does need to do a better job of understanding our history. And uh, I know oftentimes we're focused on the immediate and the immediate problems that we're trying to solve. But really in looking back and seeing what has happened um, the ways that social workers have been complicit in some of the systemic injustice. Um, it's really important to understand that so that we can um, try to train our social workers 
to resist when they're involved in a system like that. Um, we've not talked much about our research uh, yet, but Tanya and I both research and write about those early social workers, and we analyze uh, what can we learn from the mistakes that they made. And really all three of us um, here uh, study systems and communities. We're coming from a macro perspective uh, where, where we ask that question, what's happen happening systemically here? And it's hard to see the water that you're swimming in. It's sometimes hard to recognize uh, when you're a part of that system, but it's important to do. And history is a way to uh, to do that. If I'm an intake worker at a Japanese concentration camp, um, why am I not stopping looking at the moral and ethical situation that I'm in, questioning that system? Uh, and addressing that. And so that that history is such an important foundation to that. that that's exactly right. Th this this connection between our, our history, the, the ways that social workers aspire to be a profession of empowerment and justice, but yet who have contributed to some of the, the struggles and the, and the pain is it's hard to accept, but it's a history we have to acknowledge. And then we have to connect those dots between where have we been and what does that mean for us today? Sometimes I think it's easier to look back and say, oh man, back then things, social workers sure were bad. They sure were making mistakes. But what are the ways we continue to be complicit in racist systems? And, and that's most of our universities contributed to that while we're talking about social work education we are we are many of our organizations are predominantly white institutions and we've still failed to see and fully understand the impact of, of race in our systems uh, and it's true in a lot of practice organizations uh, not only were social workers uh, providing intake in Japanese and internment camps but social workers are at the border of Texas and Mexico today still helping to process children who have been separated from their families and who are coming yes. across the border from even more oppressive systems and not providing them the um, safety and, and support as uh, they seek refuge in our nation. And it, it's hard to, it's hard to swallow. It's hard to accept that, but we have to have some mindfulness today of how do I still benefit from these systems? And, and that creates some discomfort. And we just have to say it is what it is. It is a it is a problem. It is it does make us uncomfortable. And yet I can learn from it and do something different as a result. If I will just allow some of that discomfort, if I will just allow some growth, then I can do what we aspire to do uh, in this profession. I think we're all committed to the profession, but it means being honest with our shortcomings. Well, you all have given us an immense amount of food for thought. Um, so much of what you do applies not just to the profession, but to what it means to be a Christian. Uh, and it's beneficial for us to get a deeper understanding of ways that we can engage. So I want to thank you for the work that you're doing, each of you. 
uh, and thank you for uh, the time that you've given us uh, to better understand uh, what you're doing. Thank Gladly. You. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you, Dave. Well, you are listening to Practicing Gospel. I'm David Rayburn. The intro and outro music for this episode is from a clip of a song called Father Let Your Kingdom Come, which is found on the Porter's Gate Worship Project Work Songs album and is used by permission from the Porter's Gate Worship Project. This show has as its purpose enabling you to hear the voices of the Christian left and about the issues and concerns that are of interest to the Christian left. Practicing Gospel Inc. is a nonprofit organization. If you like what you've heard, go to my website at practicing-gospel.blubrry.net to subscribe and hopefully to donate. Your participation will help me continue this effort. Thank you for listening and for your support. Blessings. May the words from my mouth speak your peace.